Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. Hello, Little Woman fans. My name is Nina and welcome to the Little Woman podcast. In this episode, my guest Kimberly and I continue our discussion on the chapter 21. Lori makes mischief and Joe makes peace. In this chapter, Lori, who is 15, is catfishing Meg. He forges love letters in John Brooks' name and sends them to Meg. And Meg quite innocently answers to them because she thinks that the letters are from John. A lot of people have been angry to Lori in this chapter. I have been one of them, but I think this is the neglected part in the little woman discussion, how privileged Laurie was at this point of his life. Then we have Joe, who does not see that there are any problems in Laurie's behavior. On one hand, Joe sees Laurie as her brother. Laurie is her gateway to the boys' world, where she doesn't need to worry about gender norms of the time. And then, on the other hand, Joe is very maternal, she sees Laurie almost as her child, and she feels protective over him. After Laurie has been caught, it is Joe's mother who is lecturing Laurie, and she should. He did wrong, but that is when Joe feels bad for Laurie. She wants to pet him and protect him. She doesn't feel sympathy to her sister, who has been basically indirectly harassed by Joe's best friend. We know that Meg had feelings for John, and she could have written something personal to these letters. Laurie himself doesn't fully understand the consequences of the things that he has done. This chapter is never in Little Woman movies. I don't know if it should be there, but it really shows that misogynistic behavior that both Joe and Laurie had at this age. This is my personal opinion. The way we see Marmy scolding Laurie in this chapter it fits very well to the way in the beginning of part two of Little Woman, she confesses to Marmy that she thinks that Laurie has become too fond of her. And Marmy agrees and she says that she doesn't think that Joe and Laurie are a good couple. Marmy doesn't want them to get together. And that happens only four years after this catfishing scene with Meg. Almost like Marmy knows that Joe being this person who kind of looks some of Laurie's more disturbing behavior through her fingers, would easily get trapped if they were married. And I think if Joe and Laurie would have married, that would have turned into a very violent relationship and them being abusive towards each other. And we saw that Laurie was quite obsessive with Joe when he proposed to her. He wanted to control her. With Amy, it is very different. Amy has a calming effect on him, like Friedrich has to Joe. My friend Christina, from the Joe and Friedrich blog, wrote this piece about Marmy. Quote, Most films remove Marmy, agreeing with Joe that she and Laurie would not be a good match. The only one that comes to mind that actually did this was the 2017 miniseries, but often the other versions don't have this. I recall the 1933 and the 1949 versions do have some sort of scene with Meg in which we see that they talk about Amy and Laurie being together and her asking Joe if it is a problem. But yes, Marmy being Joe's confidant, besides Beth being taken out, really does do more harm than good, as I feel that it takes away any sense of closeness she has with her family and the showing of her growth. Otherwise, it either happens on the inside, which makes people wonder how she just quickly matured, or it doesn't happen at all, and she remains the childish and immature girl she started as. Mommy is as much of Laurie's mother figure as she is Joe's actual mother. She has watched him both grow up, seen their flaws and their strengths, but she ultimately knows that they would be together as she says in chapter 32 
when Joe asks why mommy is glad Joe is not in love with Lori. Quote, because dear, I don't think you are suited to one another. As friends, you are very happy and your frequent quarrels soon blow over. But I fear you would both rebel if you were mated for life. You are too much alike and too fond of freedom, not to mention hot tempers and strong wills, to get on happily together in a relation which needs infinite patience and forbearance as well as love. This insight not only enforces what Jo has felt, as she said immediately after. That is just a feeling I had, though I couldn't express it, but reaffirms to the audience that these two are destined to be nothing more than friends. This line makes it pretty obvious that the line Laurie says later about how everyone wants them to be together is just not as true as he thinks. We do not see any of the characters trying to put Joe and Laurie together, not in the way that Joe had tried to put Laurie with either Meg or Beth. If that was really true, why didn't we see people try to hook them up? Oh, because they didn't want them to. It isn't surprising that fans of Laurie and Joe omit this bit, and to be fair, if they have not read the book, they are going off of the movies that omits this scene, but still, it really takes away not only the obviousness of the anti-Joe and Laurie, but the quite a few of the characters' depth. If you wish to get notified every time when a new episode of the Little Woman podcast comes out, head out to littlewomanchannel.substack.com and you can join the newsletter. And you can get Little Woman t-shirts, stickers and posters at society6.com slash littlewomanpodcast. This is Little Woman Podcast, Laurie Catfishing Meg and his follow-up tantrums. I have this distinguished memory of reading this chapter when I was 17 and I was mad for him for months, maybe years <laughs> because of this chapter but it's it was also because I was 17 at the time and I would very, very much relate to Meg but it was much later when I read the book again and I started to see, oh, he actually grows out of this but definitely I had some resentment against Laurie at the time when I have been speaking about this chapter in the podcast I've had a lot of people saying that oh yeah when when they read this part it was weird for them how people could call Joe as a feminist because she doesn't really react in the way they want her to react but that's really the whole point of the book because Joe really grows to become a feminist in later novels and we have characters like Friedrich and her mother who help her to become that person. Yes, and they and Marmy also has Lori pretty pegged. She's fully aware. She she refers to him as a a weathercock and recognizes that he's pretty immature. And she steps up though and she is a, a good influence upon him. He would probably, and did, I think, accept, well, obviously, as this chapter shows us, you know, he doesn't shake Marmy or go stomping off before she finishes telling him off in their private conversation. He, he becomes contrite. He thinks about it. She does a lot for him. This family... It is very important to Rory and is an integral part of his maturation process. I think without them, he would have been just lost. He would have become like the king boy who gambled away the family's money that's, or, or some of the family's money anyway. The king boy that was a member of the family that Meg is a governess to. Laurie sees Marmy as oh, like a 
a surrogate mother, but I think it's also he doesn't stand against mommy because I think deep down inside he knows that mommy is actually the healthy mother figure for him because she can put those boundaries that even his grandfather can't put on him. And she's like also the one of those people who says no to him. Yeah, she points out to him, you know, you did wrong here, bud. And he has to take it. Well, he doesn't have to, but he does. To the best of his ability, I mean, as we read, we can see that he's still... Oh, you know, vacillating. <laughs> yes. Hmm, huh. Well, if the boy held his tongue because he'd promised and not from obstinacy, I'll forgive him. He's a stubborn fellow and hard to manage, said Mr. Lawrence, rubbing up his hair, till it looked as if he'd been out in a gale and smoothing the frown from his brow with an air of relief. So am I, but a kind word will govern me. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't, said Joe, trying to say a kind word for her friend, who seemed to get out of one scrape only to fall into another. You think I am too kind to him, hey? was the sharp answer. Oh dear, no sir, you are rather too kind sometimes. And then just a trifle hasty when he tries your patience. Don't you think you are? Joe was determined to have it out now, and tried to look quite placid. She quaked a little after her bold speech, to her great relief and surprise. The old gentleman only threw his spectacles on the table with a rattle and exclaimed, frankly, You are right, girl. I am. I love the boy, but he tries my patience past bearing, and I don't know how it will end, and if we go on so. I'll tell you, he'll run away. Cho was sorry for that speech the minute it was made. She meant to warn him that Laurie would not bear much restraint and hoped he would be more forbearing with the lad. Mr. Lawrence's ready face changed suddenly, and he sat down with a troubled glance at the picture of a handsome man which hung over his table. It was Laurie's father who had run away in his youth and married against the imperious old man's will. Joe fancied he remembered and regretted the past, and she wished she had held her tongue. He won't do it unless he is very much worried and only threatens it sometimes when he gets tired of studying. I often think I should like to, especially since my hair was cut. So, if you ever miss us, you may advertise for two boys and look among the ships bound for India. She laughed as she spoke, and Mr. Lawrence looked relieved, evidently taking the whole as a joke. Oh, hussy, how dare you talk in that way? Where is your respect for me and your proper up and your proper brilliant? Bless the boys and girls, what torments they are, yet we can't do about them, he said, pinching her cheeks good humoredly. Go and bring that boy down to his dinner. Tell him it's all right, and advise him not to put on tragedy airs with his grandfather. I won't bear it. You won't come, sir. He feels badly because you didn't believe him when he said he couldn't tell. I think the shaking hurt his feelings very much. Joe tried to look pathetic, but must have failed, for Mr. Lawrence began to laugh, and she knew the day was won. Is it Mr. Lawrence like a businessman who owns like cargo ships that take stuff to India and other parts of the world? So Laurie basically could travel to India with Joe <laughs> in a ship. <laughs> But they are way too young to do that. And honestly, I don't think Joe even would like to go. She's so family-oriented, you know, no matter how tempting an offer may be, the minute she remembers family, that's where she will be. Yes. And even when she's in New York, 
Wake up at Holiday Inn Express to a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. Count on all the hot, fresh coffee you need and an incredible breakfast buffet that has something for everyone, like eggs, cinnamon rolls, and even hot, fresh pancakes with all the toppings you crave. Next time, do yourself a favor and stay at a Holiday Inn Express with a can't-miss breakfast that's free with every stay. So, when you wake up at Holiday Inn Express, you'll wake up happy, a part of IHG Hotels and Resorts. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Which is kind of her big adventure. She really just hangs out with Frederick there. Like she doesn't go to do whatever people did in New York in 19th century. Yeah, particularly once she ends her writing stint there. Then, you know, he's pretty much her only society by choice. Yes. He, she likes how he grounds her. She feels connected to her family through him. The things that matter, that anchor her, that the family offers, religious-wise, moral-wise, you know, he represents those things, and, um, and it helps her so much. Yes, and then Friedrich represents that kind of world that Joe is fascinated like Goethe and German literature and all these things that she she's interested from and this kind of nice that I noticed here that Oda, Mr. Lawrence and then Joe they speak a lot about books they speak about the Rambler and Boswell Johnson and it kind of reminded me how Louisa Mayall wrote about her discussions about books with Emerson I have been wondering if Mr. Lawrence may um, be part of uh, that. If Emerson might might represent, might be represented by portions of Mr. Lawrence because of that. I believe all these characters in Little Woman who sort of connect Joe and literature like Friedrich and Oda, Mr. Lawrence, they have some kind of connection to Emerson and it's not necessarily conscious thing from Louisa May Alcott, maybe more subconscious. Yeah. Yes. Right. Although I think in her later years when she was struggling with moods and trying to write that great piece that was that she always felt was on her horizon, never fully, I think, accepting the moral pap for the young as she as she put the Little Women series and the other books that she wrote for kids um, or younger people. She blamed Emerson oh. <laughs> for keeping her so bound to a certain kind of morality that should be fit into writing. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm just so almost constricted by it. Um, And maybe she was, but clearly what she was able to do, probably because of it, isn't something I'm going to be doing any day soon in this lifetime. I mean... There's nothing wrong, as we were talking about earlier, with writing books for young people. As a matter of fact, I think that that's probably one of the most important artistic things that you could offer are some good reading material for young people. We need more of it. Yes. And it's kind of funny because then she also has written that Emerson was her Goethe and her biggest writing inspiration so there's lots of contradictings there. When I have read Louisa May Alcott's adult books, I think they are 
some way moralistic babble as well to a certain extent but I think the children book structure was something that she found limited sometimes which I understand because I think Lucy Mott Montgomery also said something similar that you cannot fully express yourself in those books that were meant for young audience. I imagine it would be easier to write books for younger people as an author that is known for writing for adults than it would the other way around. Reese and Doc is known for his books for children if he suddenly decided, I want to write an adult piece of fiction. It probably just wouldn't have as willing a readership people would be like, what? <laughs> but say if uh, who's a good you know, if Grisham, if John Grisham decided, I'm going to write a children's book <laughs> and grabbed uh, you to be the artist. It would probably do okay. So maybe, in a way, she got trapped. Even though she had those earlier successes with her thrillers, they were either anonymous or um, under Bernard, right? Mm. Her pen name. So, uh, and she and her publisher went out of their way to create a persona that Louise Malcott was a brand, and it was a brand for moral pap for the young. Yeah, so in a way, she kind of sold herself to the children book genre yeah. with that brand. So I wouldn't blame that much on Emerson. <laughs> no, she might have just been flailing. Why am I stuck in this? Ah, <laughs> and it's so funny because I think her personal resentment for Little Woman had more to do with the reputation of Little Woman because they so heavily identified Louisa as Joe and all these other characters with her family members. And even just like that letter from the, the sisters that, oh, why couldn't Joe just stay as 15-year-old? And then when her fans came to see her, they were disappointed that she didn't look like what they imagined Joe to be, a 15-year-old girl with pigtails. And those were like adult women who came to see her and said that. Yeah, I don't know. I always thought that was quite strange. Yeah, so it seems to be, it seems to transcend the generations though, doesn't it? It's like from then to now. We just want to freeze Joe at 15. Everyone except me, because I always thought Good Wives was better than part one. Oh, man, it is so rich. It is... I think it's just for the rest of us who are ready to get on with it and to look at all of life, you know, head on because she does she really does I think it really might be because I really got into Little Woman more when I was in my late teens and the characters in Good Wives are in their late teens and then they grow into adulthood so I could identify more with that storyline than with the first part I really appreciate their growth because I mean, again, I'm going to repeat what I already said earlier, which is that it's about them overcoming their flaws. And so we all have them. And, and never are we completely perfect. But to develop self-awareness and to pack away at our flaws is is a noble thing to do it's a it's a, as far as i can tell you know it's a humble humble way to operate in the world and i really appreciate especially i think amy does this for us 
you know, if you can't, if you're as a reader can't forgive Amy for having burnt Joe's book <laughs> well into the second half of the book, if you're still carrying that grudge against her, that says something about you. I think it's also because of the adaptations, because they kind of erase the part where Joe is bullying Amy. So people are hang on hang on into that grudge against Amy, but then they don't pay any attention to the reasons why she actually behaves the way she does. So, I mean, the book is about making those kinds of mistakes and learning from them, not only as the person who made the mistake, but as the, the people affected by the by the mistake you made. Just as in this chapter that we're reading now, Lori is, has made a big mistake. And now he is, will slowly come to grapple with how it's affected everybody around him and how they respond to his mistake. Are they going to keep punishing him? Are they going to forgive him? So I think it's interesting that people can sit down and read a whole book and then still hold a mistake that a character made against them forever when the whole idea of the book is, yes, we make mistakes and they affect others. And how are we going to behave as the people who made the mistake or how are we going to behave toward the person who made the mistake that has affected us? Which I think is a big lesson for now huge. We have a hard time with forgiveness. And this chapter especially, I think it's very much me too material. Yes. And yet I don't hold this against Laurie because he is 15 and he grows out of this. But obviously if he had stayed as this person, then it would be a problem. Yeah. As it is, it can be a teachable moment. A, a, a learning moment. And Amy learns from the book burning thing. I mean, it it shows up where she apologizes for it again. In Amy's will, that chapter, where she's staying with Aunt March, and she apologizes for it again. And there's some people who think, she never apologized enough. Like, what do you want her to do? She can't take it back. Where, how do we proceed? There's actually a theory that Amy burning chose book is actually Louisa May Alcott censoring herself, which I thought was very interesting, because when Joe writes that story again, it becomes a better story than the one that was burned. That would be an interesting uh, point of view, that maybe it was actually completely, well, obviously it was intentional from Louisa May Alcott's part, because it's a lesson of humility to Joe not to bully Amy, which nobody likes to speak about. But maybe there is also another reason for that book burning incident. Because then in New York, Joe also burned some of her stories, the weekly volcano trash. That's right. So there is this continuity in the way Joe or Amy burns these stories. And then Joe develops as a writer, which I think it's something very interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a, a wonderful thing to think about. I think the only version where we can see Joe clearly bullying Amy is the modern-day Little Woman version from the 2018. Which one is that? The one with Sarah Davenport as Joe. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I, I think I told you that um, I was surprised by that. I actually liked that version. Yeah, I think it's really good because I think it was the only version that I have seen where I actually felt sorry for Amy when she burned Joe's book. It clearly showed that Joe had been bullying her so she had a valid reason to burn the book even though it wasn't really the right thing to do but I understood her motives. Like it didn't come out of the blue. She didn't just do it for for a frolic as yes. Lori said. <laughs> No, she had actual reason to do it because Joe was really bullying her and she does the same in the novel 
but people just blame it on Amy, but there's a reason why Amy does things that she does. And plus, in that chapter, they talk about how uh, Louisa talk, writes about how they go back and forth, and the family knows that it happens. And at one point, Joe's looking around trying to figure out, okay, what did she do? And, oh, the last... Everyone deserves to enjoy a McRib at least once in their lifetime. Because when you're this saucy and tangy and tasty, a life without one creates a serious case of FOMO. The McRib is back. Don't miss the classic you've been craving. Get a McRib, filet of fish, or Big Mac, and get another for a dollar. Or mix and match. Prices and participation may vary. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. It's time that they had a tiff. Uh, Amy put one of her drawers upside down. Upset one of her drawers and made a mess that way for Joe to clean up. So this was like a long-standing relationship. Uh, of conflict between them this it didn't come out of the blue no and it's a shame that people sort of put the blame on amy when well you you really need two people to have that kind of conflict i'm sorry for that and ought to thank him for not shaking me i suppose what the dickens does a fellow expect and the old gentleman looked a trifle ashamed of his own testiness if i were you I'd write him an apology, sir. He says he won't come down till he has one, and then talks about Washington and goes on in an absurd way. A formal apology will make him see how foolish he is and bring him down quite amiable. Try it. He likes fun, and this way is better than talking. I'll carry it up and teach him his duty. Mr. Lawrence gave her a sharp look and put on his spectacles, saying slowly, You're a slipos. But I don't mind being managed by you and Bet. Here, give me a bit of paper and let us have done with this nonsense. The note was written in the terms which one gentleman would use to another after offering some deep insult. Joe dropped a kiss on the top of Mr. Lawrence's bald head and ran up to slip the apology under Laurie's door, advising him through the keyhole to be submissive, decorous, and a few other agreeable impossibilities. Finding the door locked again, she left the note to do its work and was going quietly away when the young gentleman slid down the banisters and waited for her at the bottom, saying with his most virtuous expression of countenance, What a good fellow you are, Joe. Did you get blown up? he added, laughing. No, he was pretty clever on the whole. Ah... Uh, I got it all around. Even even you cast me off off over there, and I felt just ready to go to the D's. He began apologetically. Don't talk in that way. Turn over a new leaf and begin again, Teddy, my son. I keep turning over new leaves and spoiling them, as I used to spoil my copybooks. And I make so many beginnings there, never will be an end, he said, dolefully. She literally calls him my son. Yes, I love that. I love that example of how she feels toward him. It's just right there. No mysteries. Yep. And I love, too, his confession. You know, he's confiding in her that he makes so many beginnings, there will never be an end. That's like something that one of the sisters would say to a sister about their trials so there he is with his little sack of burdens go and eat your dinner you'll feel better after it men always croak when they're hungry and joe whisked out at the front door after that that's a label on my set answered laurie quoting amy as he went to partake of humble pie dutifully with his grandfather who was quite saintly in temper and overwhelmingly respectful in manner all the rest of the day. Until you finish. Everyone thought the matter ended, 
and the little cloud blown over, but the Michi was done, for the waters forgot it, Meg remembered. She never alluded to a certain person, but she thought of him a good deal, dreamed dreams more than ever, and once, Joe rummaging her sister's desk for stamps, found a bit of paper scribbled over with the words, Mrs. John Brooke, whereat she groaned tragically and cast it into the fire, feeling that Laurie's prank had hastened the evil day for her. Mrs. John Brooke. <laughs> I think that this this final this final well, it's like the next to last paragraph where they uh, it's mentioned that he went to partake of humble pie dutifully with his grandfather. That that's what he needs to learn. He needs some humility. And this is a slice of it. Yes, definitely. So all in all, this is an important chapter for Lori, as well as for Meg, poor Meg. At this point, John is in Washington with Joe's father, is he? It's the chapter Camp Lawrence when we really start to see John's feelings for Meg when he tells the story of a falling in love with the princess. I love that chapter. That's one of my favorite chapters, and that um, film version that you just talked about, the more modernized version, is the only one that I know about, anyway, that includes anything about Camp Lawrence. Yeah, the Maya Hawk version has bits of that, but I think it has all, all the wrong bits. You need the theme. The theme is, yeah, it's just, it's more about growing up. It's a coming-of-age story. It's not a romance. It has romance in it, but that's incidental as a part of these people growing up. People say that, oh, Joe must have hated marriage because she doesn't want John and Meg to marry, but then that's interesting because she also wants Meg to marry Laurie so she doesn't really have anything against Meg marrying so what do you make of that? I really don't know what's going on to be honest I wonder if it's he's a stranger and Joe is so fierce in her affections for family and the Lawrences have become family to her and then, as you were saying before about how she um, wants a brother, and she finds that in Laurie. And so, if Meg is going to marry anybody, you know how sometimes she will joke around and she'll, and she uh, says, you know, well, I wish I could marry Meg myself, and then everything will be okay. She doesn't want to lose Meg. And I think maybe John Brooke is, he, she considers him an outsider. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Laurie is familiar, then Meg would be married to someone who Joe knows and still, like, Laurie wouldn't take Meg away. Right, because he's already in the picture. Yeah, well, that he's makes sense. I remember that Louisa May Alcott's sister, Anna Alcott, she married John Pratt, and they announced their engagement one month after Elizabeth had died. You know, that happened in 1858, according to my notes. So that was nine years before Little Woman was written. But I think Louisa kind of was able to tap into that feeling of your sister marrying... I don't know how well she knew John Pratt. I think they describe him as a family friend. But like, if you have just lost your sister... And your other sister is planning to get married, then you will be alone. Because May, I believe, was planning to move to Europe at the time. And she eventually did. Because this explains that fear that Joe has of being alone. Yes. Or or and having her very important family circle be 
penetrated by unwelcome um, sources. It's like, uh, you know, she's hard. She's hard. She doesn't take to just everybody. And I think at that point when you are like 15, if there is a big change in family, it can really affect you because you are in that age when everything affects you. Yes. And that's one of the things that definitely changes for at least me as a reader when Joe goes to New York and how it just opens up. It just creates a bigger world because she's just been bound to family up until then. It's good for her to get out of town. <laughs> it's good for us to get out of town with her. And there's something familiar to, f- familiar to Friedrich that she finds in him. So he almost immediately becomes part of that family that she has. I mean, you can see that in the way she writes to Marmy, because all the letters are about him, <laughs> essentially. She doesn't write... Like anything else in New York, it's all about him. She doesn't even wonder if he would be accepted by the family. She knows that he will fit right in. But then also when Joe goes to New York, she, in a way, is, tries to escape Laurie, Laurie's advances. But I think it's also something that she does for herself, because she knows that essentially you need to leave I think Louisa May Alcott's original name for Little Woman Part 2 was Leaving the Nest. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Which is actually pretty... Well, exactly what you said about this. It's actually about growth, becoming your own person. Joe also thinks... I don't know if she's just fooling herself or if this is a legitimate reason, but she may have hastily arrived at a conclusion that Beth was in love with Lori because she was ready to go and she was ready to uh, escape, yes, escape Lori's advances. Also, maybe she needed a bigger excuse in her mind. Like, well, you know, I think Beth's in love with him. Certainly, you know, we know why Beth was Mm. upset. And we also know that Joe was nowhere near Uh, contemplating the loss of of Beth at that time. So that was an easy conclusion for her to come to psychologically. Helped her go and try something away from home, away from Lori. I think that Lori was harassing her, even though Joe wouldn't use that word, but I think she, maybe it's because of that toxic masculinity or this fondness for boys in general it wasn't really something that she wanted to admit to herself that this is something that's happening but then I think also I don't think she wanted to admit her to herself that Beth was really deadly ill no I think it must have been like the last thing any of them were I mean Beth had to come to terms with it before anyone else did what a burden Speaking of burdens, that's a big one. To shoulder that by yourself. That's something just in my life that I worry about when I, with the people that I've known who become extremely ill and are trying to put a good face on things. That's a, that's a tall order to place upon a person who really shouldn't have to shoulder that. And if you love that person, to me, it seems like it's an important thing to extend to them is you, is you don't have to do that for me. You know, I'm here for you. What do you need? You know, and it's just as much an emotional task as it is a physical one. Not not even like, what well, can I do dishes for you or can I make some meals for you? Yes, that's all well and good. But it's, you don't have to put on a show for me to make me feel better. That's not what this is about. And Beth, 
you know, she doesn't really have anybody like that for a while. I think Joe was the first person she confesses her knowledge to. Yes. Maybe it's also because of Beth's nature. She doesn't like to worry others or be a burden. That's the thing, is that, well, it's embedded in her personality and probably reinforced by the family dynamics, but, um, yeah, even to the, in, even to that dramatic degree, like, where she is thinking about her own mortality and has to, and that has, can't be a burden to anybody else. When she... We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at usaa.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. He really needs the most support. Or at least acceptance. It kind of goes along with Joe's arc because she's always like, I don't need other people. And she actually does. Which we can see in the chapter all alone. Which I think is the saddest chapter in Little Woman. But I think it's also really important for chapter 4, Joe. When she admits that, she doesn't want to be alone. Right, but that doesn't mean she wants to go off and marry Laurie. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) not an option. She doesn't even think of that. It really begins from this letter that Amy sends to home and tells about that she and Laurie are engaged. No, they are married. And Joe is happy for them, but she doesn't envy Laurie or Amy. She envies that they are not alone like she is. It's a heavy chapter and not something you see in the earlier half. It's very effective. Definitely. Most that all we have to say about Laurie makes me chief. I love Laurie, but I'm not blinded by his faults any more than we're allowed to be blinded by the faults of the sisters. And I love that he has a character arc as much as the sisters do. And I think that it's unfair to Louisa's work that we overlook that just because it's not as obvious, even though it seems to me like it's pretty obvious. And I think it's it's an important message to us that we aren't perfect, that we have to develop self-awareness and, and try to make improvements, not be so blinded, you know, by our emotions, our perspectives. It's like uh, all the problems that arise in Little Women. Amy feeling slighted. Lori feeling slighted. <laughs> Joe feeling slighted. It's pretty much the root of all of the scrapes, quote-unquote, that they get into. The, the quickness that we tend to feel as human beings to feel slighted defensive and then lash out and then feeling some regret if we decide not to feel defensive about it and make excuses for it it's good for us to regret our poor behavior and then try to do better next time yeah that's the whole point of being human i think (laughs) you make mistakes and you grow from them and i think that that's one of the things that or maybe is the theme that attracts people to little women to this day this is just every man's story one of my friends said that if Lori would have ended up with Joe in this book little woman would not be famous I wanted to hear your opinion about that I think she has a point because especially in part 2 a lot of the story is actually developed around that tension between Joe and Laurie, Amy and Friedrich. My experience with that relationship, when I first read that book, I, I was nine. It never has once since that first reading occurred to me to second guess Joe's feelings or choices. 
it just never occurred to me. I just believed what she said. What I felt discomfort for her during uh, heartache. The chapter is called heartache, where um, where the proposal is right. Yes. It was uncomfortable. I, I was with her every step of the way. I am with her every step of the way when she feels uncomfortable with his advances that she's noticing. And she's bashful about it. She's She she doesn't think it's right for her. And she doesn't think it's right for him. They're, they're mates, you know, but they're not mates. <laughs> <laughs> and I never thought to question that and so it's it's been a little bit of a surprise to me that it's become such a topic particularly over these seems to me this last movie in particular I think I think that Greta Gerwig it's as though she thinks that she is explaining she's like Gerda explaining. Louisa May Alcott to us and it's not even about Joe so much it's I think it's about I don't know what it's about I don't know why she feels like she has to correct this story on behalf of Louisa that Louisa didn't even write it's it make it doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> I, just I think it was all about money honestly so you think that she was just delivering what she thought people wanted to see? Yes. She said in one interview that Joe must be gay, in another interview that Joe must be asexual, in third interview that Joe must be with Laurie. So big and people can just pick and choose, which is so stupid, because this is a semi-biographical story. No, and she's consistent throughout the whole thing. If you sit down and read it, if you really read the book, just always go back to that. It's all there. Or read Louisa May Alcott's quotes on Henry David Thoreau. <laughs> or Lady Wisniewski, which are really interesting because I think the things that she said into to the public about Laddie are pretty different to the things that she wrote in her journals about him. Oh, really? Yes, because, you know, when she spoke to the public and they were like, who is the real-life Laurie? Who is this story about? And she said, oh, it's this nice man I met in Switzerland. And then in her journals and in her letters with May, they call him boring. And then they wonder why he doesn't pay his money back to them. Plus, there's another individual, too, that she claimed um, Laurie is based on. Alf Whitman. Uh, Yes, thank you. Now, how were they connected to him? Alf was friend to their theater hobby, and I think he was also like ten years younger than Louisa. He was like oh, fifteen. Like yeah, he was like fifteen when he met the Alcott sisters, and it's interesting because Alf and May were very good friends too. Oh, that's just like uh, me and um, and Laddie too. Yes, it has all the possibilities of a triangle, but it never was a triangle because they were just friends. <laughs> and people are so conflict conflicted by that because how can they be just friends with boys? My daughter Savannah and I talk about that all the time about the importance of platonic friendships, how underrated they are. Friendship, I don't know what I do without my friendships. They are so important. I feel that that's just one of the things that gets my goat is when people have to turn every relationship into something sexual. Do you really have to do that? I mean, I'm not against relationships being sexual, but there's so many different kinds of relationships out there. And they can be complex and they can be, um, they just fit a totally different bill than the romantic one. That's important, equally as important to me. Maybe even more so sometimes. Yes. The relationship with Alf, I believe, was once again more maternal. 
because Louis had these maternal feelings for him. But it's funny because I believe May was also like trying to guide him to be more productive, which is what Amy does to Laurie uh, later on in the, in the book. That's so funny. These women, they try to give nudge for these boys to better themselves. No matter if that explains to me why Louisa was able to sit down and slam out that book as fast as she did, because so much of it had actually happened. <laughs> Just, oh, remember when Laddie? Huh. Yeah, I'll put that down. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I want to make an episode about Laddie, but I need to read more about him. Well, that would be an interesting one. Yeah, maybe for the next season. We'll see. I have so many stuff that I need to do. Yeah, hospital sketches. <laughs> yeah, I need to read that one. And I I am reading this book about Charles Fallen, who was one of the real-life Friedrichs. And it's so interesting because he was this German immigrant who moved to America and he married an American female writer. And that's such Joe and Friedrich chemistry storyline. And then there are some uh, sequences in Charles Fallen's biography that are taken to little women almost word by word. So Louis Mayago directly copied them from Charles Fallen's biography. So there we definitely have one Fred Bear from real life. Was he a teacher? He was a teacher in uh, university. And he got railroaded out for political reasons? Yes, from Germany. I did read about him. He's actually quite fascinating. I agree. That will be an interesting episode when I get to make it. Oh, yeah. That's just um, important American history, in my opinion. What happens to him? Yes. He has a go of it. And I really like that because Germans weren't really seen very positive light during the time when the old woman appeared so it's interesting that there is this international marriage there but also because Louisa Melgott simply loved Germany which is a, a very interesting area to study The book has such a domestic and local feel to it that I'm sometimes, well, I'm reminded, uh, especially this last reading, how cosmopolitan it really is. There's, Europe is, is heavily involved in it, and, I mean, starting with Lori, and then Amy's own travels, and Lori again, and Fritz. The world is in this book. You get to travel all these places. What attracted you to Little Women initially? What has been the the main reason why you have been so felt so compelled to dig so deeply into Louisa and this story? I read it as a child first, and I liked it. And but then when I was a teenager, I really just fell for it. And that's when I read the sequels and Rose in Bloom and Eight Cousins. Well, everything that they had translated me to finish at that point. And it keeps you going. It keeps you digging. Yeah. I think it was really when I started to read about the real life Friedrich and the real life Lorries. Because I thought that was really interesting. Because I was really always really frustrated when people made fun of the marriages in Little Woman because to me they made all perfect sense. So to find out that there was a, a real life stories behind them, that really got me interested. Thank you so much for inviting me to read this chapter and to discuss it with you. I feel so honored and happy to have this time with you. It's great to have you here. I always read your YouTube comments and I'm like, Oh, I need to invite her to the podcast. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, I was so surprised when I received that invitation. I was worried about so many things, technology, my brains. That's enough. I don't have to be worried about more than those two things. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Kimberly. So on. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make good choices. Bye. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply.